0: It's amazing how this world distorts what's important. And you turn on the news, uh, there are now hold channels that all they do is they talk about what certain stocks are doing. And if you get this stock, it's going to climb and it's rising. And about the time you think that's really good, then it crashes and so people just watch the stock market and they're consumed by what's going on in the stock market. Some of the richest men in the world uh, committed suicide in, in the Great Depression because they had lost everything. But they didn't realize they had a lot to live for, but at that moment, they thought all they had to live for was the money they had in the bank. When I was young and when we were newly married, uh, we didn't have anything. I mean, uh, when we were in seminary, uh, Terry rode a bus to work and She rode a bus back home, and I'd pick her up at the bus stop, and we'd go find the biggest thing we could find at a store. There wasn't a Costco or a Sam's or anything like that, but we would go, and we would buy a whole case of canned corn because it was cheap. If I never see another can of corn, I'll be fine. And we bought fish sticks because they were cheap. I don't know if there was any fish in the fish sticks. I'm not sure. And we had about three meals that we ate and we'd go and we knew how much we had to spend and we didn't have anything. But then somebody would come along and say, hey, I got this deal for you. You can get in on the ground floor of this pyramid scheme. And so I'd scrape together some money and I stayed on the ground floor. In fact, I went in the basement. And I'd go to them and say, what happened to all that thing that was going to happen? Well, it didn't quite work out. I said, did it work out for you? Well, yeah, it worked out, but it didn't work out for me. So I learned not to invest in people's grand schemes and ideas. Some people live and die by how the stock market does, whether it goes up or down. But my dad taught me, and not all of my life have I lived this way, but my dad taught me, and we have lived this way most of our lives, is that you can't outgive God. And our investments are in heaven. Jesus said to lay up treasures in heaven. I do not know at all what my portfolio looks like in heaven, I have no clue. Of what my portfolio looks like. Because I don't know how many people have been saved. I don't know how many people have been called to ministry. I, I don't know where my mission dollars went and what they did. I don't know everything that's going on with our church planners. But when I invest in the kingdom, I'm laying up treasures in heaven. And it will take eternity to reveal what that means. But I know this. I'm earning compounded interest every second and will for all eternity because if I've had anything to do by my giving or my going with anyone coming to faith in Christ I will get to share eternity not only with the Lord but with the people and the ministries that I have invested in now that's good news that's good news Because there are people that will try to take your money. Have any of you gotten this phone call? Uh, Please stay on the line. You are wanted in this state for these four crimes, and the police are looking for you. Mm -hmm. That's called block that call. This world is always trying to tell us they'll help us, and they will make life better for us. And most of it is a scheme and a scam. Only God can take our lives and multiply them in ways that we cannot understand. You see, there are principles for success in life. It doesn't matter what your career is, there are principles for success. If, if you want to be a good student, there are principles you got to follow. If you want to be a good businessman, there are principles you have to follow. If you want to be an, an engaged believer, there are principles that we have to follow for the blessings of God to become real to us. So let's look at the earliest example I can find And that's in the book of Genesis, chapter 4. The book of beginnings, where all things began in the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel is the second son of Adam and Eve, and most of what we know about him is that his brother killed him. That's kind of about as far as we go. And Oh yeah, Abel, that's the one that Cain killed when they were bringing an offering. Let me give you a couple of things that set the stage for this. First of all, Abel was born under a curse. The curse was there because of his parents. His parents ate them out of the garden. They had access to everything. They had fellowship with God, and they decided they wanted the one thing that God had set apart for himself. By the way, God always sets something apart for himself to remind us that he is God. He set apart a tree, he set apart a day, he set apart a tithe, he set apart an offering. He's always set something apart for himself. It is a reminder to us that he is in charge, not us. But if you take the time, and we want this morning, if you take the time to read the account in Genesis of the fall of man, you will see three words come up. They saw, they coveted, and they took. They saw they coveted, they wanted something that wasn't theirs, and they took. The same words are used with Achan when Joshua and the people captured Jericho, and everything in Jericho was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, but Achan took some of the bounty, and he hid it in his tent, and he said when he got caught, I saw, I coveted, and I took. When David sinned with Bathsheba, There are three words that come up when he is confronted. I saw, I coveted, and I took. The eyes will lead us to places we don't want to go. That's why the Bible talks about the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The eyes will lead us to places that we don't want to go. They were born under a curse. In the day that you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. And guess what? The first person to die on earth was their son. But Abel offered God his best. Now, his brother didn't. They brought two different kinds of offerings. He offered God his best. He was a herdsman. He was a keeper of sheep. So Abel didn't cut any corners. He wasn't trying to figure out how little I can do. He offered God his best, and God received it. He and his brother brought an offering to the Lord, but their gifts were different. Abel's are called the firstlings of the fruit or the first of the fruit the tenth, the fattest part of the fat portions of that offering the best part now remember he's been raised by parents who have shared their story of their journey with god if those parents were good parents they said you know god gave us a perfect place And then your mother didn't fix supper one night and she ate us out of house and home. That's a joke. You're supposed to lighten up a little bit. So they shared their journey. We used to be here. Now we're here. But remember, give your best to God. They're out of the garden. They're removed from that constant fellowship with God. But give of your best to God. And so Abel heard that. But Cain didn't. Cain said, I'll offer God what I want to offer God, and he ought to accept it because he's lucky he's getting anything out of me. Two different views of life. They had the whole garden, but they wanted the tree. And so here's the lesson that I think. You know, you get all these signs and you get scriptures and you put them in your hall and on your desk and by your bed. And, you know, it's a big deal now to get something that's got writing of verses and things like this. Here's what I think the sign was by Adam and Eve's bed. We wanted it all, and we lost everything. We wanted it all, and we lost everything. You see, sin came into the world, and Adam and Eve thought we deserve to be just like God. We deserve the best. And you know what? Man has learned nothing. Man has learned nothing in thousands of years. We still want more than we have. It's never enough. Even John Rockefeller, who was at the time one of the richest men in the world, was asked later in his life, how much is enough? He said, a little more. A little more. It's never enough. We, We always try to figure out how to get more and to get more rather than be content with where we are. One of the things I appreciate about this church is with what we have been through in the last two years, with major tornadoes and major straight line winds and flooding and a hurricane, that if you read that letter inside of your worship folder, uh, we met our budget this year. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. But you know what? It's a miracle of obedient people. It's a miracle of people who didn't sit around and say, well, we ought to pull in and we ought to draw in because we're in a crisis right now. They obeyed God and met the needs of our budget and, as you'll hear next week, of our over and above giving. God used you to make a difference. So every baptism, which we'll have some tonight, every baptism, every mission trip, every camp, every Bible school, every disciple now, Everything that we do is possible because you let God have access to your finances. That's big. In the greedy world in which we live, that is big. That we let God have access to the thing that the Bible says the love of it is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says the love of it is the root of all evil. Now, I saw an interesting thing this week. There's a guy that ran for president. He's about 175 years old, and he's, he's, he's a socialist. And he believes that anybody with any money should give it all to the government. His income tax last year was $1 million that he made last year. I say, start with the guy you see in the mirror every week. He made $800,000 on his book. I say, start with the guy you see in the mirror. You see, God has given us the ability to make money. But he's given us the ability to make money so that he can trust us with it and then he can use us to pass that on in other ways to be a blessing to people in ways that we could never be a blessing because there's not enough time or energy on our own to do all that God wants to do. So it was Abel's gift of obedience, whether it was a gift of love or a gift of love and obedience, we don't know, but he obeyed God. And it's so significant that it shows up in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Faith Genesis 4.4 4 says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. If you mark by that, Hebrews 11.4, this is what it says. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that was righteous—that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. Unless God bore witness to his gift. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks now don't miss that though he is dead he still speaks now I've heard that used in a lot of ways but that verse is in the context of an obedient giver now how does he still speak he speaks in three ways his faith speaks the verse starts with by faith Abel offered his faith speaks his gift speaks god approved of his gift and his gift had eternal consequences god testifying about his gifts and through faith though he is dead yet he still speaks god remembered and thousands of years later after abel one of the first people on the planet Thousands of years later, the writer of Hebrews records him as a man of faith. And the reason he's a man of faith is because he offered. Now think about that. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was. I don't think it was Paul because the Greek that he uses is different than the, than the way Paul wrote. I think it could be Luke or a woman. In fact, I think there's a large likelihood that, that Hebrews could have been written by a woman. We don't know. It could have been uh, one of the followers of Paul that sat down and wrote those things down. But it talks, everything in Hebrews talks about a better, a better priest, a better covenant. Everything in there talks about things being better. And in the midst of being better, God reaches all the way back to Abel and says, if you want to talk about an offering, let's talk about Abel, the first one, the first example. But now there's some more recent examples. We're now within 2,000 years. Some of you will remember these people. You went to church with them. Mary in Mark chapter 14. Mary in Mark chapter 14. Mary poured out this costly ointment and anointed Jesus. If you were here a couple of years ago, you heard Bob uh, Baki preach on this passage where he talked about Mary offering her dowry that for just a few minutes of pure worship, She offered her future, her retirement, her dowry in the presence of Jesus. Here's what you need to know about this Mary. She's a single woman. She's a single woman. She's on her own, and she's offering these gifts to God. Her gift is remembered, Mark 14 and verse 3. While he was in Bethany, the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table... There came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Verse 4, but some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? You need to mark that verse because we're going to come back to it. For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor and they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. Mary ties worship and giving together. Now let me give you a thought here. Don't let your purse strings bind your heart strings. Don't let your purse or your wallet rule your heart. Let your heart rule your wallet or your purse. Verse 9. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached to the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Now, you can just mark that verse down and know anytime any Sunday school teacher, small group leader, pastor missionary has ever referred to this story out of the book of Mark it has been recorded as a memory to her and it is to her credit that's where there's just another dividend paying off with Mary you know why we have to wait until the end of this earth and this age until we finally get our rewards we don't get our rewards when we die You know why we have to wait? Because our investments and our witness are still paying dividends. You realize that the only reason that you're saved is because the gospel left Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and went to the uttermost parts of the earth. Somewhere, those early disciples that followed Jesus and didn't have a closed group and said, we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, shared with a Gentile, and you're a Gentile because the only people that are not Gentiles are the Jews. And so we are saved because somebody invested in us. Paul has not received his rewards yet because he's still reaping rewards. Your grandparents that love God and serve the church... They haven't seen their rewards yet because they're still receiving rewards. That's going to be all bundled up at some point when we stand before God and we find out if our lives were wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stone. As long as she is mentioned, she will be remembered. I wonder, I don't know, it's just my sanctified imagination. I don't know how heaven works. I just know it's a good place. I wonder if somebody ran down to Mary's mansion and said, Mary... There's a dumb old preacher from Mississippi standing in a pulpit in Albany, Georgia today, and he talked about you. The good news still works. It still works. But you've got to go to verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And they were glad when they heard this and underlined the next phrases because they promised to give him money. Draw a line from verse 10 to verses 4 and 5. Some of them were indignant and said, Oh, we could have taken that and given it to the poor. Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price that was paid for a slave in those days. That's how much Jesus was worth to Judas. And he sold him out. He said, oh, we, you know, I'm the treasurer. We should have had that money. We could have distributed it to the poor. No, Judas just wanted money. That was his motive. He wanted to get paid for betraying Jesus. So mark it down. Some and Judas couldn't worship because of greed. They were offended by this single woman that was offering the best that she had to Jesus. You see, God... Is watching to see our hearts does it bother us when somebody gives and you say well why didn't they do that for me or do we rejoice that somebody is investing in the kingdom of heaven and in the advancement of the gospel then there's Barnabas Acts chapter 4 now, I'm not going to take long on Barnabas uh, you're familiar with the story but the church had a great need and he gave sacrificially here's what I want you to remember about Barnabas we do not know the name of the rich young ruler but we know the name of Barnabas we know his name we don't know the name of the rich young ruler but we know the name of Barnabas acts 4:37 Barnabas who owned a tract of land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet here was a man of means he was a landowner that would have been very unusual under the roman empire Because Rome had taken control of everything. But Barnabas had a piece of land and he sold it to bless the church. Then there's the poor widow, Mark chapter 12 and verse 41. And he, being Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. Put in all she owned and all she had to live on. Here's what we learn from her. Nobody's too poor to give. Nobody's too poor to give. I don't know what anybody gives in this church. I just, I'll see, what I see is what you see, what's in the worship folder. I see what the bottom line is of what the total gifts were from week to week and up through the year. That's all I see. I don't know what you give. I don't know if you give. But Jesus is watching this treasury and he's watching this giving And he's watching those that are giving out of the surplus, which means they're giving and it's not hurting them to give. It's not really costing them anything in their lifestyle to give. But there's this widow and she gave all she had, which meant she could not leave there and go buy lunch because she had given away what she could have had for that day to live now here's where the offering was taken it was taken up in the court of women there were seven boxes there where you put the temple tax and the free will offerings and this woman gave what she had and Jesus took note of it you see sometimes we think Jesus only takes note of our singing or if we filled in the notes on the note sheet he takes note of everything he takes note of the treasury, where our heart is and where our treasure is. I love this quote by Phillips Brooks. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. What Brooks is saying and what Jesus is saying is the heart issue is a matter of where you are in your heart. It's not a matter of your checking account. It's what you really are putting your trust in. It's not money. With such sacrifices, God is pleased. Hebrews thirteen sixteen. So here's the question. Is your giving out of convenience and calculation or love for Christ? I've always had people uh, ask me from time to time, well, is, if I tithe, that's the Old Testament. Well, it precedes the law because Abraham gave a tithe before there was a tithe mentioned. Abraham gave a tithe, so the tithe precedes the law. People try to say the tithe is legalism. No, the tithe is the first step. It's not the last step. And I've had people say, well, you know, is that off the gross or the net? Well, I don't know. Which one. Which blessing do you want? You want gross blessings or net blessings? Is it off the gross or the net? I've told you before, my dad at the end of his life was giving 30% of his income to the church. Toward the end of his life, he was working part-time in a drugstore. Uh, As a pharmacist, he wasn't making a lot of money. When I was in college, he had to close his store because he just couldn't keep the doors open anymore. Yet he kept me in college in a private school, paid my school debt off, and gave 30% of his income to his church. That taught me a lot. That taught me a lot. Do I give out of convenience or do I give just when it feels good to give and when I give emotionally? And I want to tell you, there's a whole move in our culture today to give emotionally. Now listen to me. I am not against giving for social justice causes. I've done that. I'm not against giving to dig a well, but you can dig a well in every community in this world and never share the gospel and they'll go to hell they just won't be thirsty let's look at the example of jesus jesus was a giver he gave of himself he gave up the glory of heaven and came down to earth god is revealed as a giver as a creator he gives he gives us gravity can you imagine what this room would look like if we didn't have gravity it'd be a little weird this pulpit's not bolted down, so there's nothing I can hold on to there. He gave creation, He gave you the air to breathe. He could change the molecules of the air just one little iota, and we would suffocate. God is a giver. He gave us the sun. He gave us the moon. He gave us the stars that until we figured out GPS and got garments, that that's how people got across the ocean by looking at the stars. God's a giver. He's a sustainer. He sustains what he gives us. And he's a savior who gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. That was a messed up group of Christians. And in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, he talked about the Macedonians and how they had given of themselves and asked for more opportunities to give. Now, the Macedonians were the poorest group of people that Paul could think of. I mean, they had nothing. Corinth, on the other hand, they had everything. Corinth had the money, they had the prestige, they had the power, they had the influence, they had it all. And Paul writes to them and he uses the Macedonians, then he talks about Jesus, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's a thought. Christian giving is not a matter of finance. It's a matter of faith. The church treasurer counts what we give. God counts what we keep. Just real quickly, Mark, y'all come on up. A few years ago, Terry and I sat down with a lawyer to update our will we did a couple of things in our will first of all we wrote our testimony into our will and so at the reading of our will one day our daughters are going to be sitting there and whoever else happens to be sitting there and the will's going to be read and there i'm going to testify of my faith in jesus christ at the reading of my will and if anybody ever reads my will ever There'll be my testimony there. It's the last time I get to testify that I know of, but it's in there. It's the last time Terry gets to testify, but it's in there. The reading of our will will be a testimony, a testament of our estate, but a testimony of our faith in Jesus Christ. The other thing we did is we included a percentage of our retirement, whatever that is, we included that in... Sherwood Baptist Church and the International Mission Board because I wanted to leave a gift to a church that has paid my salary for 29 years and counting. And I wanted to leave something to say I didn't just take. I gave back while I was alive, and after I'm dead, there'll be a check that'll come to this church because it's stated in our will. The International Mission Board. I don't know who will be president of that then. I don't know who the missionaries will be then. But it's an organization committed to the spreading of the gospel in 125 countries around the world. And so a portion of our state will go to the International Mission Board. You say, well, you ought to leave all that to your kids. Listen, can I tell you something? I just won't be honest with you. I love you and I'm not going to hurt you. But some of you are going to leave all of your money To children that don't love God and don't love His church, and they're gonna squander it in the first 18 months after you're gone. And there will be no testimony from you in your death. I'd go change my will. I'd go change my will. Because you need to leave a testimony to your children that wouldn't come to church with you while they were alive they walked away from the church and they don't care anything about it they're gonna come to a funeral and hopefully the preacher's gonna share the gospel at that funeral but before they get a dime out of you they ought to hear that part of your money is going to the cause of Jesus Christ it ought to make a difference that they walk away from there and say wow my mom my dad they really did love Jesus in death and in life in life and in death they love Jesus they didn't just say it they showed it so that's what a part of ours is going to do it's more than a tenth I don't know what that will be because I have no control over the stock market I have no control over expenses that I might have the rest of my life I have control over one thing how what's left is designated out have control over that and you know what I did I decided that before I had to decide it I decided it 15 years ago this is the way it's going to be you know where I learned that I learned that from my parents I'm going to a place where gold is so cheap they pave streets with it I'm going to a place where they make gates out of pearls And my investments are there. And I'm not going to walk on streets of asphalt with potholes that can't be filled. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. Because I have a God who said, If you will give me your life, I will give you heaven in return. And I have a God who said, If you will make me Lord, I will do things for you that you cannot begin to understand and it'll take glory for you to understand all that I'm going to do through your life. That's the God we serve. That's why we exist. And if you're not saved today, can I tell you, the best thing you'll ever do is give yourself because when you do, God will give His Son to you and save you. The next best thing you do You say, Lord, I'm all yours. Every day, every breath, my hands, my heart, my going, my doing, my job, my career, my success, whatever it is, I give it to you. I'm not watching what the market is in heaven. I know what the market is in heaven. It's really good, and it's never going down, and it's never going to run out, and the house that I have there, if it's a hut, a lean-to, or a mansion, choose your word. It's never going to need repair. It's never going to have a tree fall on it. It's never going to be flooded because God has prepared a house for me for eternity. Now, folks, if you can't buy into that, I can't help you. But I can't ask you to stand and sing with us. And if you need to come this morning, you step out and come.
1: Everything, everything. everything.
0: seated for just a moment. While you're being seated before Ken comes tonight, we're going to look at a passage of scripture. I hope that'll help you. It certainly has helped me over the last few months. We're going to look at where Paul wrote to the Corinthians and talked about God as the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. How God has become for us the God of all comfort. He's writing to People that are being persecuted, and persecution is growing, and society is not in favor of this movement of the way of Christ. And God is the God of all comfort, not some comfort, all comfort, and the Father of mercies. That's what we're going to look at tonight in the 6 o'clock hour, and I look forward to sharing that time with you. Ken, you got a couple of things you need to tell us about. All right, amen. We are
2: glad you are here today. Amen. Amen. Well, we're grateful that you're here. And if this is your first time visiting Sherwood Baptist Church, we want to say welcome and thank you for coming. Church family, are we glad they're here this morning? All right. That's right. We are so glad you're here. So we would love to meet you immediately after the service is over out of the welcome desk in our atrium. We can know how to pray for you and your family and also give you a gift for coming today. And then also many of you are 11 o'clock and you come here and you get out your car and you fly on in here. And man, we're so grateful that you're here. But we also have a desire for you to get plugged into a small group. At 930, we have Sunday school class or Bible study classes that are coming in, coming, going on. So come in early. Sit down with a Bible study class. Learn and grow with other Christians. You can't miss out on that. And so try next week to get here early. And if you want to know what class to go to, myself and some other pastors, will meet you out in the atrium and give you a little list of all the Bible study classes that we have that you can get connected to. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. And then also tonight, just like our pastor mentioned, he'll be going over the old past. And it's going to be a blessing for all of us. So make plans to come back tonight, all right? So after you eat that fried chicken and macaroni and cheese and then everything else that you're eating, set your a clock. We'll see you back tonight at 6 o'clock. God bless you. Have a good day.
1: My treasure, my priority, who can compare to you?